This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Chow. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. Following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another pro football doc podcast here as we head towards week six. And a special situation today. Not only special guests for segment two, but a special in-studio appearance here of our producer, Greg Peterson. Hey, how's it going, Dr. Chow? Good to be with you. We're actually uh, sitting next to each other for once. Usually we aren't so lucky. No, typically we are not, so this is a very good treat and very good to be able to see you and just good to be out here in San Diego in general. Weather is always beautiful. Yeah, a lot better than Las Vegas, huh? Not as hot? Nope, no more 100-degree temperatures out there in Las Vegas either, and then in San Diego. It's just always seemingly like sunny and like 75. It's terrific. Well, it's always 68 degrees in the operating room, so (laughs) it is what it is. Uh, So let's start with section one here, and a few things going on here. We'll we'll cover a bunch of things here. Uh, One thing is we'll talk about the cart fiasco and Mason yeah. Rudolph. We'll talk about uh, the Redskins and their medical situation and their coaching change and how it might all link together. Um, and uh, perhaps something that I'll call uh, don't uh, assume things. Uh, and whenever you assume things, things get off on the different uh, track there. And if we have time, cluster injuries here. But let's roll into it here. First of all, I get it. Horrible, horrible optics. You know, a uh, quarterback that's knocked out, posturing, you know, uh, what they call fencing response. Uh, The cart doesn't work. He's stumbled slash walked off the field. I get it. Horrible, horrible optics. It's a billion-dollar business. Why can't you get the cart to work? First of all, look, I don't think the Steelers medical staff did anything wrong. Uh, It is normal to remove the face mask to get access to the face and especially mouth and airway if there's any issue there. Uh, And uh, they did that. Apparently there was a pulse oximeter put on him, which is normal to determine what his oxygen status was. And they did all the right things. And in the end, obviously, it was embarrassing that the cart was pushed off. But look, if there was a neck issue or potential spine issue, even without a cart, you could go uh, FIFA style, and there are backboards that were there, and carry them off with multiple people. Uh, I get it. The choice was, apparently, that Mason Rudolph wanted to walk off. I get the criticism. Hey, how can you let him decide? He's, (laughs) you know, concussed. But if there was nothing dangerous about it, I think there was nothing wrong with it. And it didn't seem to be. He went to the hospital and was checked out. It certainly looked embarrassing. Uh, but it is what it is. As far as the cart is concerned, though, Greg, I've had the same, well, not the same, but similar cart fiascos. I've written about it before, but maybe I should share the story here. Please do. It was in... I'm a little bit melancholy about this. Uh, This probably won't happen anymore after this year because it happened in Oakland Coliseum. And uh, no more dirt, partially dirt fields. And uh, you have to understand Oakland Coliseum. I'm not anti-Oakland Coliseum. It's one of the dying dying breed, right? A dual sport venue. uh, Let me ask you this about Oakland Coliseum. I know that Justin Forsett came on Twitter a couple weeks ago and he said that Whenever you took a hit and you'd hit the dirt in Oakland Coliseum, it would be much like belly flopping just out in the middle of the road. Is it really just that rough? There's no question baseball dirt and baseball grass is different than football grass. Mm -hmm. I mean, any groundskeeper will tell you that. And look, the injury thing there was you're not looking down. 
I mean, you, you have to wear cleats, but your cleats on the dirt don't work very well, right? I and mean, there's different surfaces. So you think you have footing because you're on the grass and the next second you don't have footing. And I always thought literally a little bit sandlot. But don't you think, Greg, you could like do a dig route by driving the cornerback right onto the dirt and you're on grass? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that should be a completion every time, right? You could really make your cuts where you're on grass and the and the, uh, the other person's on dirt or i remember one time our offensive line was on the dirt and their defensive line was on the grass and there was no way they were going to get a push uh when that happens They're, you're just ice skating but that's another issue the card issue was this in the oakland coliseum the visitors locker room was about a stairway and a half away from the field level. The home locker room was about two or two and a half. And x-rays was three or four flights of stairs. And so I can tell this story because A, he's a friend of mine, but B, he's given me permission to talk about it. And the irony was at the time, he actually was the league uh, union rep or the team rep, Vaughn Parker, a right tackle. So he broke his ankle. We were near the Oakland Raiders sideline. And the tunnel is right by Oakland, Oakland sideline. That's where both teams come out of. And by the way, I, I rather enjoy the Raiders and their costumes and the whole thing. Uh, I don't know if I enjoy now that I have little kids or at the time I think I enjoyed or, or laughed at uh, how many five-year-olds would salute us with the number one sign on our team buses. That was... Uh, you know, in Kansas City, they'd all be there early. They would all just wave like we're better than you. Bye bye. But in Oakland, it was five year olds with the uh, number one sign. They, so started, to speak. they started them young. Hey, I mean, I and we used to on the on the buses, by the way, have fun little wagers like over under 15. How many little kids? And oh, there'd be arguments about, well, that that guy was too old to be a little kid who is a little kid. And, you know, uh, good fun on the on the bus ride uh, in even in the morning. But anyways, so Vaughn Parker broke his ankle. We were kind of near the Oakland sideline and he's a big boy, 300 plus. And I was thinking broken ankle, three slash four flights of stairs. That ain't going to work. We need the cart. And so we get the cart. So we drive from the Oakland 50 over to the north end zone, across the field, back to the Charger sideline, to the Charger 50, up a tunnel to exit. And we're halfway up the tunnel, and the cart stalls out. And at first I was like, what, are we too heavy? Do I need to get off and walk? No, I think the battery went dead. Someone forgot to plug the cart in. So no problem, the guy radios, but the radios weren't fully working. He goes, hang on here. So it's Vaughn Parker in full uniform and I in the middle of an uphill tunnel sitting there while he runs away, the the cart guy. And he gets another cart, brings another cart, and we get in the cart and we think we're good. But then the saga continues. In order to get to X-Ray, you literally have to go outside the stadium. So imagine this, there are still tailgaters in the parking lot people who don't have tickets to the game. And we're driving around the ring to get to the other side of the stadium amongst tailgaters. And he's in full uniform and I'm in my Chargers gear. So (laughs) it was a little bit interesting. And uh, then we said, well, we do see some stadium security out there. So, you know, if something happens, nothing will happen. But stadium security, they were all lined up out there. Apparently, the people who worked pregame were done. They were lined up to get their paychecks, and we actually had to honk to get them out of the way. And then we made it to X-Ray, and everything was fine. There was no harm done. But that cart fiasco isn't the first time that's happened in the NFL. And it won't be the last? You know, but here's the thing. There was another cart on the other sideline. If they really needed a cart, they could have gotten a cart. It wasn't that big a deal. And then there was a lot of talk about mouthpieces. Uh, hat tip to Dan Orlovsky. He texted me during the thing or DM'd, I forget which. A mouthpiece does not prevent concussions. It could help dampen the forces when you're hit in the jaw, especially with an uppercut type motion. Obviously, if you slam your head on the turf, a, jaw, a, a mouthpiece isn't going to do anything. Mouthpieces are great for protecting your teeth 
protecting your tongue, protecting your mouth and parts of your face. They might help the blow if you take a shot directly on the jaw. I'm not sure it would have helped Mason Rudolph, but the bottom line is quarterbacks, for the most part, do not wear mouthpieces. Why? Well, they're making, they got a call play, so many audibles of the line of scrimmage. You ever try and speak with a mouthpiece in? It's pretty hard. And uh, if you call the play or make your adjustment and then put your mouthpiece in, that makes it hard too. It sort of tips off the defense. So most people don't. I think Matthew Stafford does. I think there are an isolated few, but most quarterbacks actually don't. But that wouldn't have saved Mason Rudolph. And by the way, um, he's not playing next week. I mean, the reason why is if you get a concussion and symptoms go away pretty quickly, uh, you might have a chance. But his clearly lasted. I mean, he went to the hospital uh, after the game. He was out before he even hit the deck. You could argue there were two head blows there. Because if you watch the video, he absolutely went limp. And his ragdoll, body ragdolled onto yeah, the field. Yeah. So, And then he slammed his head a second time. So hopefully he'll be okay. But uh, I think it's Sunday night football. Um, you're going to see uh, the third stringer making his starting debut for the Steelers. In Rookie Sunday out of Sanford. Sanford without the T. Exactly. The one from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then the news this morning is, of course... Uh, about Redskins, Jay Gruden was fired. Yep. Um, I, most people have seen that video. <laughs> Obviously embarrassing, but wh- whatever. It is what it is. Uh, but I guess we're talking about it not only because he was fired, but what did medical have to do with this? Uh, maybe something, indirectly at least, right, Greg? I mean, Oh, exactly. You've been talking about it on the podcast, how they've had so many failed surgeries and everything like that that have just went awry, and they've just been the victims of bad luck in general. Yeah, and in no way am I criticizing the Redskins medical staff. We've talked about this. Many, yeah. Most of the surgeries were not done by them, but, uh, you know, uh, Jay Gruden was actually pretty hot. you got to look at the whole complex history here. He was pretty hot. They were 5-2 and two with Alex Smith last year. And then injury came to Alex Smith, and he had a dozen surgeries. Obviously, they started off the year with the Darius Geis ACL, and he had multiple surgeries with infection afterwards. And we talked about on this podcast how he wouldn't necessarily do well this year, and he's on IR right now. And Colt McCoy, who finally just got healthy from last year's three-surgery ankle fracture where he was, quote, rushed back. I mean, that obviously all has to do with the record in the end and uh, the poor performance, which leads to Jay Gruden's firing. But don't forget now, Jay Gruden may be out of a job right now. Of course, he's still going to get paid. But he has quite the coaching tree. Name how many other current coaches or coaches that were employed on Sunday. I don't know the answer to this question, Greg. Maybe you can help me. How many... NFL coaches, head coaches that coached on Sunday can say from their coaching tree there were other coaches. I mean, Jay Gruden arguably had three. Kyle Shanahan, Mm -hmm. Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur. All three are doing pretty darn good right now, too. Uh, Bill Belichick doesn't have three. He's got Bill Mm O'Brien, right? Uh, oh, and then, of course, um, in, in uh, Detroit, Matt Patricia. Yep. Oh, now I guess he got Brian Flores. He's got three. Yeah. But Brian Flores is <laughs> struggling a little bit. But I take that back. Bill Belichick has three. Uh, who else? I don't know. I've got to think that Mike Tomlin has at least one. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I guess I'm being a uh, bad podcast host here. I, I've asked a question that I don't know the answer to, but mm-hmm. I figure that's what you're here for, Greg. We are feverishly searching. <laughs> But in any case... Actually, he does. Bruce Arians for Mike Tomlin. Oh, well... <laughs> because he used to be the defensive coordinator and everything like that. Gotcha. That's true. And then... Um, but also the medical side, Trent Williams. I still don't know what that is all about. Um, is it really about he doesn't like the medical staff and that's why he doesn't want to report? That seems far-fetched to me. I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but if you don't know, you'll eventually uh, find out, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. 
And uh, rumor is Kevin O'Connell might even be hot for the uh, head coaching job. And he's an, uh, uh, an assistant on and the And I will staff. say for Dan Quinn, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur also were assistants under him, too. So that's interesting. Yeah, the trees uh, definitely intertwine there, uh, yeah. for sure. They for sure they intertwine there. And then um, we'll talk about this more in the third segment, but uh, the Sunday night football game was interesting to me. If you look at the injury index and what we're doing at profootballdoc.com, you came into the game and you said, the Colts are the team that are injured. And, and now, now remember, I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but I mean, my prior to Andrew Luck going down, I was like, the Colts are my, you know, sleeper pick for the Super Bowl. Why? Because they returned all 22 starters and, and in theory healthy. But obviously that went up in smoke with Andrew Luck. But we have been talking about how six months of preparation with Brissett as the starter is way different than his last time with the Colts when he started when he had six days. So, uh, and I think it's shown. But he entered that game saying the Colts have some issues. T.Y. Hilton maybe wasn't going to play. Marlon Mack maybe wasn't going to play. They both played. And they still had safety issues with Malik Hooker and the other safety out. And Darius Leonard out. So Kansas City with Damian Williams likely in and LaShawn McCoy in. Sammy Watkins in. Of course, Tyreek Hill out. And against Patrick Mahomes. The thought I had was, you know, KC should be able to move the ball and stretch the field and the corners might be soft, etc. But when Sammy Watkins didn't play with the hamstring, Nicole Hardman is still okay but not proven yet. And uh, he's more of a slot guy, it seems. And so Sammy Watkins' ability to stretch the field went away. That was one blow. Eric Fisher's replacement couldn't hold anybody. Or he did hold some people, and he did let some people not hold some people. And other offensive linemen got hurt. Eric Fisher's replacement, domino injury, stepped on his own quarterback's ankle, making uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, aggravating his week one high ankle sprain. But most importantly, of course, Anthony Hitchens went out with a groin. Chris Jones went out with a groin. And Xavier Williams went out with an ankle and or Achilles. And you saw what happened in the second half. I mean, the, the injury tide turned the other way. The, the Chiefs couldn't take advantage, and all of a sudden, the Colts' offensive line, which is always their strength, the D-line was five yards off the line of scrimmage in every run, pretty much. So uh, that turned the tide of the game. I don't think that was luck. If you played that game again with the same players, with the same players that were available, that's the same result. Nine or ten times out of ten. That wasn't a fluke. And you know what the ultimate irony is? We were talking about coaching trees a couple minutes ago. How about that of Andy Reid? John Harbaugh, Pat Shermer, Doug Peterson, Sean McDermott, Matt Nagy. That is probably the number one coaching tree that you have in the NFL right now. Yeah, but uh, both Belichick and uh, Andy Reid have solid jobs and can get jobs again. Jay Gruden just got fired. That is so true. And... So uh, certainly for a fired guy, he's got three uh, underlings there in his coaching tree that are doing pretty well right now and, and might end up with a fourth with Kevin O'Connell. So that's just... Uh, yeah, O'Connell's been doing great. Irony there. And then uh, before we go to the break, uh, we were watching the game here and a bunch of people were you know with the staff here at ProFootballDoc.com. They're like, how does Jason Garrett get a flag for throwing something down really hard? A flag, the champ. He doesn't. He said something, obviously, in that... That story has come out. So, Although I will say the roughing the passer calls that we saw this week, little bit concerning. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Ooh, that I was mean, not good. I mean, look, I don't love how the pass interference calls are not being called, but at least they're consistent. I mean, the bottom line is saying is you're not getting that inside strike. You're, you, it, unless it's over the plate, you're not getting the strike or whatever. There's consistency. I don't know why people keep challenge, challenging. They're just not going to give it to you. It's got to be, I think it's uh, the rule now for the NFL to overturn a pass interference or call one might be uh, uh, 10 out of 10 blind men in a bar. <laughs> 
Um, you know, i.e. New Orleans uh, and the Rams. That's about the only situation that they're, that they're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, because we saw a lot of hits. Pittsburgh versus the Baltimore Ravens obviously comes to mind, in which some of those calls change the course of the game, and it's like, man, that's a roughing call. Yeah, that's too bad. But uh, all right, we'll take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back with some uh, special guests. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Schell. All right, welcome back to part two of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. We're on the fly today and a very special, another in-studio guest, not just Greg, our executive producer, special (laughs) in-studio today, but the esteemed player, coordinator, and head coach, Mike McCoy, is... uh, he lives here in San Diego, happened to be around, and uh, was kind enough to pop in for 15 minutes or so. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Spontaneous. I figured this would be good, and there's so much out there right now. Um, you obviously, you've done everything in this league, both sides, player, coordinator, position coach, and head coach, so you see it, you've seen it all. Let's start with an injury question related. Uh, you, ha- you just came back from Carolina, mm-hmm. where... The Ring of Honor, am I saying that right? The Hall of Honor. Hall of Honor. Hall of Honor. For? Jake DeLone, Steve Smith, Wesley Walls, and Jordan Gross. Gotcha. And so I wanted to ask you, having been a quarterback and been Mm -hmm. a coach and also worked with Jake DeLone, when he's the last known guy to have a Tommy John ulnar collateral ligament surgery that was in the mid or late 2000s, and now we have Big Ben. what was your experience in the comeback with and, and how Jake did with that surgery? Well, Jake's amazing. Um, you know, Dr. Connor did the surgery. Um, Jake got hurt in Atlanta um, early in the year, and then uh, he kind of held out for a couple of weeks to kind of hopefully think that his arm would get better or he'd feel better to be able to play. But then um, as an organization, and Jake uh, sat down and they decided to do the surgery, and they thought it was going to be uh, you know, seven to nine month rehab process till, till he came back. But, you know, Jake's a warrior. Jake came back and worked harder than ever to come back. And, you know, you, you would have never known that he had this done when he came back. So, um, you know, we can't thank Pat Connor enough for what he did and how he helped Jake get back. And he really beat the baseball player timelines, right? I mean, because if you have a major league pitcher that has surgery in October or some time frame, to be back for the start of next season, uh, usually it's like 12 months, sometimes 18 yeah. months, and Jake was closer to 6'9", right? Jake was a lot quicker than everyone thought, and that's just who Jake is. Um, week in and week out during the seasons, he might have something that some other people wouldn't play with, or it might take him a little bit longer to get back, but Jake, he was not going to miss a snap on the field. Like another quarterback you worked with closely. Yeah, very fortunate. Very fortunate to work with Philip also. And I know you've worked with him um, in the past, uh, but they're very similar that way. No, Philip isn't going to miss anything. He's got the longest active streak yeah. right now starting, yeah. in the, and, and we won't go there. But as you know, he's had lots of injuries. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so before we get to the injury side and reporting side, you're a quarterback. We talked a little bit about this before. Tell me, do you think it's harder on your elbow as a football quarterback or a baseball pitcher? Well, when, when, when you and I first talked about this, my initial reaction was to say a baseball player, a baseball pitcher, just because of the number of pitches they might throw in a game, um, the amount of effort that goes into the pitch. I'm not saying there's not a lot of effort into a throw, but so many throws are different in a football game, whether you know, are you throwing a ball, a go route downfield? Are you checking the ball down? But I think you really have to go back and look at the pitch count during the week of preparation leading up to a game or the same thing for the quarterback. How many balls does he throw in practice? Um, and then it depends on age a little bit too. You know, as the quarterbacks get older in the NFL, you start to monitor the number of throws. Uh, and you I hate to say it, but it's like a pitch count. Sure. You start limiting that. And that's uh, some of the great quarterbacks, that's the toughest thing to do because they want to take every snap. They don't want to sit out. They don't want to miss a rep of practice. They know it's critical to make sure they get all those third down reps against certain looks. Um, so that'd be a great study to really go back and look at and uh, you know the scientific part of it 
and see what some other people thought. Well, you, you touched on a lot of things that I've been saying, and my answer, if you're curious, is in some ways it's much harder to throw a baseball, and in some ways it's much harder to be a football quarterback. And let me go through some of the differences. Why is baseball harder? Well, baseball's harder because, first of all, that mound makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. You always say in baseball you throw with your legs and your back, not just yeah. your arm. So you're literally whipping your arm, so that whipping action. And also... In baseball, you're not always throwing a straight ball, right? I mean, in football, you're trying to throw a straight ball. In baseball, you're doing other things uh, with your arm. And obviously, there's more pitches. But where football, I think, is harder is that you have to, you're throwing more with your arm than with your feet. You don't get to step in every throw. Someone's coming at you mid-throw sometimes, or as you initiate, you're changing where you want to throw the ball, and mm -hmm. you're changing your arm angle. And there aren't other people running at you in baseball, whereas football, like, look at Patrick Mahomes yesterday. Look yeah. at his arm angle changes into what he has to do and contorting his body. That's not pitching from a static mound. You're throwing dynamically. So from that perspective, I think foot, football is harder. But the other reason that football is easier is besides there's no mound in velocity, I'll ask you this question. Out of every, let's say, 100 throws in practice, and or in a game, or mm -hmm. let's say you have 40 attempts in a game, how many of those throws are near max effort velocity for a quarterback? Ooh, you know, I think there's different, well, there's different types of quarterbacks. Right. You know, those, those people, you sometimes the quarterbacks, you call them the rocket men. You know, they're going to try to just launch it every single time. They're going to throw a fastball every time on a shallow cross coming up. And then there's all the guys that anticipate better, don't have that big, strong arm. So... You know, I, it, it's hard to say it's this percentage because every throw, like you just mentioned, could be different. You know, there's a rush. You're throwing it underneath someone. You're throwing it around somebody. Um, you're throwing a, a fade route in the red area. You're throwing a check down. So it's hard to really put a true number to say, okay, this is the number each week. You know, because sure. it, sometimes you throw it 35 times. Sometimes you throw it 40 times. You know, sometimes you throw it 20 um, so I just think it all depends on the, t the route concept you're throwing. And then all sometimes the, the, the defense will dictate how you throw that. Is it tight man-to-man -man coverage? Do you have to throw it with a little more velocity? Is there someone in his hip pocket? Um, are you throwing it more out front of him so the guy goes and gets the ball? Yeah, and, and I think, I guess my point is I've never played quarterback. I've never pitched for that matter, not at the high levels. But I would imagine having taken care of both sports that a baseball pitcher throws more and puts more torque on his elbow and in his arm at a higher to near max consistently mm -hmm. than a football quarterback. I know as a younger athlete, um, I'm getting old nowadays, but back in the days, like in youth sports, I could say playing baseball and pitching, my arm got sore at times. I can't remember a day throwing a football really where my arm got tired or sore. Which So the sum of this is... Although there is no guarantee that Big Ben will be ready for the start of next season, he has a reasonable chance because it's football, not baseball. At least that's my impression. And knowing Big Ben, he'll be ready. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. And, and what you just said with Jake makes sense because if you remember, at first I didn't have it figured out because he didn't, he didn't get hit. He just kind of threw the ball and just kind of yep. looked at the sideline. Mm -hmm. And... and then I didn't understand where Dr. Bradley didn't do much with him, and he went in the locker room by himself and came back by himself and didn't play. And, and the translation to that is that, and the story came out that they knew that there was something. Mason Bradley knew there was something. And so this is something they've been dealing with for, for a week or two or maybe more. Mm -hmm. And basically that look from Big Ben to the sideline is, yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. There it went. Yeah. And, and they knew. And, and, and kind of like, with Jake, you said, well, you knew about it. You tried to maybe get go non-operative, and, mm -hmm. and it didn't work. And so that's that's my thing uh, my thing there. That brings up uh, a next question. I mean, I don't get to talk to head coaches much. Or, uh, you're in the role. Uh, what percentage, I'm not asking you to um, spill any specific beans, but... Like I'm not be, working right now, so I'm going to be looking for a job here soon. So <laughs> I can't spill too many beans here on there. We don't, we don't watch this spill. Please, beans. I got to get a job like, here come January. Like people were in an uproar about Big Ben's elbow wasn't on the injury report. I, as a doctor, look at it and go, and so I mean, 
Look, do you realize how many guys out of the 53 we treat? And the injury report is, what, seven, eight names? Mm -hmm. We're not sitting on our hands all day long. There aren't four athletic trainers there for no reason. I mean, three-quarters of the building is working on something. It is routine yeah. not to list everything. And it's not illegal. I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, well, there's certain policies um, in today's game you have to follow. Sure. And some teams fall a little closer than others. But I think, um, you know, everyone, you know, even the declarations now come the end of the week on how you're saying who's playing, who's not playing. Um, everyone's trying to do the best job they possibly can. No, 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 no question. And uh, the... Uh, I'll make it easy on you and with a specific, I mean, I end up in my role, coach, honestly, defending people all the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I remember I was defending uh, John Fox when he was coaching the Bears. I can't believe they didn't know what was going on with that guy. And I can't believe or, or, uh, or other coaches. I'm like, no, they knew. They just weren't telling you. <laughs> I mean, look, I always said from the outside, if you think someone, a team, is doing something silly or stupid, that's just because you don't know all the facts on the outside. Mm -hmm. If you knew all the facts, I'm not saying everything works out the right way, but things make sense once you know all the facts. And it's not a head coach that says something because he doesn't know. There's a reason the head coach says it and says it the way that they do. There's a reason for coach speak. There's a reason yeah. for... Without a doubt, there is, and I think, you know, you, at times too, you're you're looking at what is in the best interest of your players. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you saying about them, and the certain things you report, um, and but that's why you have a medical staff. Correct. You know, as, as the head football coach, you rely on the medical staff to tell you the do's and don'ts. Um, but that's way out of that was way out of my league, so that's why I re I relied so much on James. And the medical staff to tell me, you know, this is what we have to do with this player. This is going to be the rehab process. This is how long until they're going to be back, you know. And then Ken Johnson was in charge of or helping with working with James to say, okay, hey, this is going to be the rehab once they get back on the field, so that we make sure that, you know, we were always looking out for the best interest of the player. So brings the obvious question. People often ask me and say, well, how did you deal with teams? owners, GMs, coaches, head coaches, pressuring you to get guys back. Have you ever pressured an athletic trainer or a doctor to get a guy back? No. You, you, what the, you want to do is you want to be honest. Yeah. You want to be honest. with The, the players want you to give them the honest opinion. Right. And every player is different. Yeah. Um, that's the tough thing. When you have injuries in today's day, in, in today's game, um, so-and-so has this injury. Well, how long is it going to be out? Well, some people recover a lot faster than others. Some you know, okay, this person got injured, it's gonna be an extra week or two. They're not, they not fast healers. And there's other guys that just, they play hurt. They or, don't, or, or, based, or based on style of play, like certain correct. injuries or certain positions, certain styles of play, mm -hmm. et cetera. Some people can come back more quickly and that's the art of it. And that's what I always thought my job as a team physician was to know the art side. You can't go by the standard, this is four to six weeks because this guy might be different correct. depending on what's going on. Okay. And there may be ways to utilize him in different ways to utilize, to to not accentuate the injury, right? Well, and I think that's where as a coaching staff, um, when you are educated the right way, um, when your team's medical staff can inform you and say, hey, this is the issues he might be having in a game. Well, that's where we can help them. And hey, maybe this player only lines up on the left side this week because he's going to break off of this foot or this in the route tree. He's only going to run this route on the left side versus the right side this week because he, he can't break off that right ankle. And that's going to be, that's where the weakness is in his body right now. He has a right ankle injury. So when we can, let's make him use his left foot as the dominant foot this week. And those are a number of things that, you know, go into another conversation one day. Sure. Uh, but I think it's important to look at that and to help the players, and hopefully uh, you can put them in the best situation to be successful. For example, a Monday night game with Cleveland with uh, their two cornerbacks with hamstring injuries. It's a lot easier for uh, uh, Terry McLaurin yesterday to play through a mild hamstring mm -hmm. or T.Y. Hilton playing through a quad than it is for a cornerback to play through that muscle injury because yeah. the defender doesn't know where he's going. He's yeah. got to react on a dime, whereas yeah. the offensive player can sort of know ahead of time, favor the leg, 
you know, make that hard cut on the healthy seven step on the left mm-hmm. leg instead of the right leg or whatever the case may be. Yeah, that's why I always say it's harder for defenders, especially in space, to play through certain injuries, whereas offensive guys have a little bit of an advantage because they know where they're going. Well, it's an offensive game, right? Yeah, there no, you go. Okay. Coming from an offensive yeah. guy, of, no. uh, of course. No, that, that's a good point, though. There are, it's, and like you said earlier, that's where um, it goes down to position-specific. Yeah. Certain yeah. guys can do certain things. You're asking them to do more. Certain guys run more than others. Um, then it really comes down to the individual player too. How 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 can they play through some pain? Um, you know, how quickly can they get back? And you you really don't want to make it to where it's worse. That, that's the key thing. When you look at all these injuries in the league, you want to take care of the, the you know what's in the best interest of the players and help them be successful on the field. Absolutely. And you know, just like in coaching scheme, you don't just have one scheme and say no matter what the number one, two, or three wide receiver, or the one, two, or three tight end, or the one, two, or three quarterback, you make them do the exact same things. You have to tailor things to what their strengths are. Yeah, and you, you install a system, and then hopefully, you know, you have backups and other players that you're developing that are going to fit the system, but then it all comes down to adjusting. That, that's what the game of the game of football is all about, is during the game, uh, there's going to be injuries on a weekly basis. You're going to lose somebody every week. That's just what's what happens. And uh, hopefully you've done a great job uh, with your coaching staff and developing the players and being able to make those adjustments. And you might have to move a few players around to, uh, to keep moving the ball down the field or come with a big stop on defense or a big play in the kicking game. Well, I think the health and safety era is certainly a good thing in football. But do you think there are any downsides potentially based on second opinions or other things and agents? or? That's for the doctors to decide. That's one thing I always relied, like I mentioned earlier with James and the medical staff. They, they tell me all, the, give me all the information. Um, I've got an opinion on certain things at times. And you always had that of, what do you mean he can't play this week? Or, you know, this, but that's, you've got to look at what's, what's the best interest of players. And, you know, you want to make sure that you have them for the long haul of the season because it's a long year. No question. And, and people have always asked me, Coach, you know, how do you do it? Because, you know, you're serving two masters, the player and the, and the owner. And this. I'm like, mm-hmm. like, no, I'm like, yes, I look, I didn't just work for the team. I have my own, own practice. But of course, I worked for the team. But if you work for a bank, your job is to any company, your, your job is to take care of the assets. If you work for a bank, you take care of the money. If you work for a team, what are the assets? The players. Mm-hmm. you got to take care of the players. Yes. And I think you made a really good point, whether you're a coach or whether you're a doctor or a trainer, being real with the player because you're so cl- in such close quarters. They see through. Mm-hmm. They talk to each other all the time. Yeah. So if you, like, BS one player, that gets through the locker room as a doctor or whatever, and then your reputation is shot. Well, there's a trust factor, I yes. think. That was the important thing. And. You, 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 the players, they've got to be able to trust the medical staff, the trainers and everything, that they're doing the right thing for them. And I think that's where the player and medical staff's uh, relationships are so important because there's yeah. so many things that happen during the, during the year, some big, some small. But it's the same thing as coaching. You know, they want to be, players want to be coached hard. They want to be told the honest truth. And I think that's one thing I always talk to the players about is if you ever come to my office, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is what the coaching staff and I are talking about, and this is what we think about you. Or it's the same thing when you go downstairs. I'm going to go down and talk to the medical staff, and they're telling me certain things. And then, you know, we'll all put all of our minds together, and we'll make tough decisions sometimes. Yeah, trust is a big thing. Coach, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing next? Uh, or what are you buying your time? Ready to get back in? Uh, yeah, I can't wait to get back in. Um, but I've been I've been loving every minute being with my family. You know, being in this uh, in the NFL since 2000, um, grinding away, you know, 365 days a year, just you know, giving it everything I've got to each team or every organization I've been working with, and then this past year being able to spend a ton of time um, with my family. My son's a senior in high school, and um, Liv is a sophomore at University of Arizona, and I've got the greatest wife in the world, and Kelly. She's she keeps us all going, and she's the leader of the family. Um, but we've got a great great family. It's been a blast. Spent a lot of time with them. Well, I'm sure we'll see you somewhere again next year. Thanks for the time. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with segment three of the Football.com. If you found $100 on the street and nobody was around to claim it, would you take it? Of course you would. So why do you keep picking winners without getting something for it? That's why you should head to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win at mybookie.ag. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. 
It's also important to be confident when you're betting. You're losing your original wager? Time to hedge at halftime? MyBookie offers a full menu of in-game bets. And if you like to bet a little to win a lot, check the parlays. And if that's not enough, this is more than enough. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit up to $1,000. Use the promo code PROFOOTBALLDOC to activate the offer. Again, MyBookie.ag and the promo code PROFOOTBALLDOC. MyBookie. You play. You win. You get paid. More now with Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. All right, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Pro Football Doc podcast. We'll do our injury rundown here. And uh, as we approach week six and end with the beast of the week here, let's start with quarterbacks. Of course, we have to lead with Patrick Mahomes, rolled up on week one high ankle sprain, Look, he was already a beast of the week because he finished that high ankle sprain week one. He finished the game again. He had two unbelievable plays, kept his game, his team in the game. He's not going to miss next week. I mean, the good news is he is so athletically athletically talented, it almost doesn't affect him as much uh, as some other players. But he's going to be hobbled. What this means is I thought he was about over the high ankle sprain, and now it's going to affect him throughout the month of October, but an affected Patrick Mahomes is still pretty good. Sam Darnold, uh, not a surprise that he did not play because of the spleen. He wanted to play. The team wanted him to play. They extended practice to allow him first team reps as well as Luke Falk, but his spleen didn't cooperate. And uh, I don't expect him to be cleared today. I, look, this is going to go all the way till Friday. There's no guarantee Sam Darnold will play this week. It will go all the way through till Friday. Drew Brees, we've talked about at ProFootballDoc.com. He's not playing this next week either, even though he's starting to throw the ball some. You can't put him into a game until there's ball, ball security. When someone can swipe at his hand slash thumb and not hurt Drew Brees and Drew be able to hang on to the ball. So it's not just clean pocket. Can he drop back, catch a snap, and pass? It requires more than that. And Cam Newton is still weeks away. Look, uh, Kyle Allen uh, keeps winning. Uh, as long as he keeps winning, uh, they're going to stick to him, Cam Newton, being 100% before he returns. And like I said from the get-go, that's four to six weeks. So uh, midpoint of the season is maybe when Cam might be ready. Lots of running back issues to discuss. Uh, Wayne Gallman's uh, Saquon Barkley's replacement with a concussion. The Giants have the quick turnaround, play the Patriots on Thursday. Uh, Wayne Gallman's not going to clear the concussion protocol by Thursday. And Saquon Barkley, I do not believe, will be available either. you got to remember, there was video that was enticing. Saquon Barkley ran, seemed to move well. But Greg, maybe you could move better than Saquon Barkley, but when I was 18 or 22, I couldn't move better than Saquon Barkley at three-quarter speed. He's just a great athlete, but he's not ready to play. And he didn't even practice. He wasn't limited last week. He was DNP last week. So on a short week here, I don't see Saquon Barkley playing. And why not? Not only because of he's not ready, but the Giants don't want him two carries in or 10 carries in, re-aggravating that ankle. You know, Patrick Mahomes re-aggravated a week one mile ankle sprain. That happens too. So do not expect Saquon Barkley to play. Josh Jacobs will be fine. He finished the game with some sort of elbow issue. Melvin Gordon will be better next week. He was, uh, uh, I saw uh, there was a uh, wager, 75 combined yards for Melvin Gordon. (laughs) Look, Free money for anyone who is following at profootballdoc.com. It's like he's not going to have – it's going to be Zeke Elliott at best. Zeke Elliott had 13 carries. Melvin Gordon had 12. Yeah, your hope was that he busts off like a 50-plus yard, yard run if he took the over. Yeah, and, and Eckler, meanwhile, had 15 catches. So it's going to settle into Melvin Gordon as the first and second down back and Eckler as the third down back next week. And I think Melvin Gordon will be full usage, but the Chargers weren't going to risk him there. Wide receiver Tyreek Hill. I still think he's closer to six weeks than four, so I still don't think he plays this next week. 
Um, although that's going to present a problem for the Chiefs because I don't see Sammy Watkins playing either with his hamstring. So Watkins and Tyreek Hill out, that will be an issue, uh, especially with uh, the offensive line of the Chiefs. Eric Fisher is still going to be out, likely a couple other guards. That's going to be something to watch, and we'll have a injury index there. I feel like I'm the bearer of bad news today because <laughs> Devontae Adams, I don't think, is going to be ready next week. When he was hurt on that Thursday game against the Eagles, I said, this is a multi-week injury. And the news came back, no surgery. He's going to be on the better side. But the better side still is multi-weeks. If he plays, I don't see him effective this next week. Uh, the big toe is pretty important. Um, it's responsible for over 50% of the push-off. Um, I might drop in uh, a uh, Stripes uh, Sergeant Hulka re- reference here. <laughs> the big toe or whatever that. I don't, I don't want to get the quote wrong, but the big toe is pretty important there. And then uh, the the Ravens have some uh, issues. Sorry, not the well. The Ravens do have some issues. Marquise Brown, right ankle. I still don't think he's right on the left foot. I know. I admitted. I ate crow. I've been negative on Marquise Brown, not on the person, just on his ability to acclimate to the NFL. Small, quick, speed receiver coming off the foot, missed the entire off season and training camp basically. And he sure showed me in the first two games, he had 233 yards and two touchdowns in the first two games. What's he done the next three? 93 yards, one touchdown. Mm -hmm. And you can't make things last when you're only playing about 15 plays. There's only so many opportunities. And guess what? The defense now has you on film and knows what you can and can't do. Um, So... uh, Marquise Brown right now, it's, it's hard to play through a right ankle and still a left foot that's not 100%. You don't have, quote, a good leg to stand on or a good foot to stand on. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is going to be out, it looks like, at least another week. It started with as, as a groin, then abdomen. I still have some worry for core muscle or sports hernia, but the Cowboys game at best for Deshaun Jackson. And the poor Bengals continue to have issues. Mm. They, they dress three wide receivers. And Alec Erickson, out with a concussion, he was the John Ross replacement who's been on injured reserve. Of course, A.J. Green's another week or two from playing. So they finished the game with only two wide receivers last week. So they got to sign somebody at this point in time uh, at wide receiver. And somehow they mounted a comeback against the Arizona Cardinals before they got that game-winning field goal. (laughs) Yeah, well, and, and, and... According to my injury index, that was a... Look, I'm not a tout. I don't make picks. But if you looked at the injury index, that was a solidly an under game. And it was all game until the Bengals rallied I had there. the under. That <laughs> so was tough. You felt the pain. Yeah. Uh, that was a winner all game until the end. Yeah. Um, and Philip Dorsett, the Patriots with a hamstring issue, reported as, quote, minor. But as I tweeted, it's only minor when it's not your hamstring and it's not your fantasy player. Uh, he's listed as weak to weak. Well, what does that tell you? I mean... Probably not going to be playing this week. <laughs> that's exactly right. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Mark Andrews seemed to uh, come off the injury report and avoid uh, further injury to his shoulder when he went down. Some offensive tackle issues besides the uh, Chiefs, the Cowboys... Tyron Smith was missing, and I forgot how impactful he was or is to the Cowboys. Very. Uh, and uh, that showed against Green Bay. And then they also lost Lael Collins to maybe an MCL sprain. Uh, Tyron Smith with a high ankle. So the Cowboys may, may miss both tackles next week. The swing tackle is already playing on the left side, so uh, let's see what they do there. But a, a position of strength, their O-line has become a position of weakness. And so many people, when they do fantasy, when they do gambling and everything like that, they really don't take into account offensive linemen because they don't give them fantasy points, they don't accumulate yards. But losing these offensive linemen, that's almost as big as maybe losing Ezekiel Elliott because those guys up front for the Dallas Cowboys, some of the best in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And and Greg, that's just an advertisement for the injury index at profootballdoc.com. You're welcome. Because <laughs> that's what we look at. We look at that for sure. 
Defensive key injury still. Uh, C.J. Mosley may not make it back yet, and he's key to the Jets' defense. Mm -hmm. The Eagles' DBs are still going to be beat up next week. Akeem Hicks, not season-ending. No official report yet. I'm looking on Twitter here. Um, and uh, But he dislocated his left elbow. The Bears have a bye. And by the way, Trubisky will be back after the bye. Count on it. Akeem Hicks will be back in three to four weeks with an elbow brace. The Chiefs D-line, Chris Jones and Xavier Woods are going to miss some time. And, uh, of course, uh, Anthony Hitchens with his groin may miss some time. Darnell Savage with a of the Packers, of your Packers, Greg, yep. with a high ankle sprain, said to be mild. So he's likely to miss some time, but not multiple, multiple weeks. Kimoko Ture, bad news, ankle fracture dislocation on the Colts. His season is done with surgery. And uh, that gives us a pretty good rundown here. Uh, anything else? I'm looking on Twitter for any other questions here. I was scouring as well. I know that I had a lot of Packer fans come at me for Darnell Savage, and you just filled that in. So terrific. All right. So let's end up with the beast of the week here. Well, we can't do a repeat. We try not to. But I got to mention Pat Mahomes again. I mean, he didn't even flinch. Everyone saw how much he limped. Uh, NBC had a great replay of it where he got his ankle stepped on in high ankle fashion. And those are painful. Even if you spat them, there, it doesn't provide a lot of support. So uh, he's a honorable mention there. But I got to give it to uh, the Beast of the Week, to a, a guard for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Alex Kappa. I didn't even see the injury, but the announcement came this morning that Bruce Arians said he broke his arm. Oof. And he finished the game. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. I don't know what kind of arm break yet, but I don't care what kind of arm break. I don't care if it was hairline. He finished the game with an arm fracture. I think that certainly qualifies as our beast of the week. Baby. No disagreement. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us and listening in. Uh, go check out the website, profootballdoc.com. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, we'll catch you next week.